Inspiring Women, a blog for the 100 Voices for 100 Years project by Dr Maureen Wright. I have always loved history and, like me, many historians of my generation grew up reading Jean Plady's brilliantly researched novels, interspersed with the odd Regency romance by Georgette Hare. But I had not realised just how much women's lives had been reduced in the telling of history, written as it still was in the mid-twentieth century by the victors, or those who told the lives of the white, male, middle-class diplomats, politicians or military leaders, so important to traditional history-making. I worked in the financial sector, in social services and in retail, before commencing my university career in 2001. But I really had not appreciated the gendering of the workplace and the everyday sexism that I seemed to have, fortunately for me, mostly escaped. But in researching and writing the past in the noughties, and specifically the biography of the extraordinary Victorian suffrage campaigner Elizabeth Wollstone Elmy, who became the subject of my doctoral thesis. My eyes were open to so much that the 100,000 word word count for my book was almost not enough to do justice to her story. I began my own academic journey as a mature student in my early 40s and I'm always delighted when there are lifelong learners in my seminar groups today. Discussions always have a different dynamic. We share, at least it seems we do, more and at greater depth. And young scholars value their input, keen to highlight contrasts and differences of generational understanding. In my first week at uni, I also took a class in women's history, taught by the professor who would later go on to direct me in my research studies. And from almost the first moment she started to speak, I knew that the topic would be somehow key to my future. Of course, at that time, I didn't know how important or that I would go on to forge a new career path because of it. But that is what happened. Now, in the first week of my module, which centres on the Votes for Women campaign from 1865 to 1928, I begin my lecture with a list. A list that I write in such a way as to provoke a response. But first I ask the students to imagine they were a woman living in the year 1868. I continue, and always deliberately slowly, you would, I told them, have no parliamentary vote, no vote of any kind, in fact, not for parish or town councils, to oversee the poor, in fact, in no local government of any form or the House of Commons. And you certainly could never aspire to the offices of Member or of Parliament or Prime Minister. There was little in the way of secondary education for girls, there was even less provision for higher education. And even when women's colleges were established in Cambridge in 1869, there were no degrees for women. If you married, you legally ceased to exist. You could not own property as a married woman. And also, any money you earned through your employment 
could be collected and spent by your husband. If you and your children starved as a result, you had no recourse. You had no rights to your children over the age of seven. Nor did you have a legal right to refuse sex with your husband, even if he was infected with venereal diseases. At this point, the women, for usually it is women who choose this course, though some men have done so, look stunned. They have no notion that women struggled against such odds. Last autumn, one person remarked, I had no idea. I thought this course was about Emmeline Pankhurst and the suffragettes. So it is, I replied, but we don't mention Mrs Pankhurst for another fortnight. That is the really wonderful thing about teaching women's history. Each generation goes on to inspire the next, telling stories, making histories, and narrating the extraordinary lives of those who sought to make a difference.